You are about to enter the Cyber PD Podcast. Cyber School Pedagogy lives here. Welcome to episode two of the Cyber PD Podcast. Your co-hosts today are Agora Elementary Coach, Kelly Quackenbush, and me, Agora Middle School PD Coach, John Thomas. Kelly, why don't you tell us a little bit about what we have in store for today's episode? I would love to, John. Today is going to be a fabulous episode. We are focusing on writing across the curriculum. And joining us for this conversation is Agora ELA Curriculum Coordinator, the one and only Amanda Harbaugh, as well as Agora Middle School Social Studies teacher, teacher Emily Sattler. Welcome to the show. Hi, hey, thanks for having welcome. us. We're happy to have you guys here today. So let's get right to it. Writing across the curriculum, how in the world are we going to get cyber school students to become better writers? Well, I I think that that it's going to come in the same way that anyone becomes a better writer. Um, we have to first provide an expectation that it has to be happening. We need to be writing. And then with that, giving multiple and consistent opportunities for the students to practice, practice, practice. Um, and then with that, once they're practicing, we have to give them that feedback that anyone would need and give guidance so that, they, so that they're able to hone that craft and, and get better. So let's just address writing like we would any other skill, is what you're saying. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Nobody practice. improves on anything if they don't practice, practice makes, or perfect practice makes perfect, I should say. But um, if, we're, if we're giving them the opportunity to practice without the feedback, then they aren't going to know that they're not doing it correctly or that they have anywhere that they need to grow. Um, so I think that practice is the most important aspect of it, but then feedback is number two right behind it. Right. I, I heard an analogy once, and, and it kind of goes along with this, of learning something without that feedback is like trying to learn to play the piano with earplugs in. If you don't hear those mistakes that you're making, if you don't hear that, then you're never going to improve. And that feedback that we're getting from teachers is is so important. Emily, I'd like to switch to you now. Um, I have a, I am like you, and I have a social studies t teacher background, as, as you do. And um, as a, soci a social studies teacher, I need to ask you, why can't the ELA teachers handle this? They're the ones with the training in it, right? So funny story, I actually am a reading specialist background too. So <laughs> I have both, but I know not everybody does. Um, but one of the things that drove me when I first started trying to figure out how to add in writing and how to do it intentionally is that, <laughs> this is gonna sound terrible, my students were terrible writers. Like I would get sentences with no capitalization, no punctuation. So I knew that it was something that they needed that help that instruction in. Um, and when you look at the PSSAs, and I know we all hate, let's look at the PSSAs, let's teach the mm -hmm. test. But most of it is informational texts. And it's now switched a lot to be informational writing about those informational texts. So in my class, I try to do just simple content-based questions, not huge, crazy, like TDAs yet, 
but simple answer this about the content, let's look at this primary source and write about it to get them used to how do I write info, like everybody loves to write a story. Anybody can write fiction. They Kids love writing fiction, but writing informational text is a lot harder for them to do. Absolutely, and that is such a huge standard these days, is, or the the informational text. And hey, you're having them read informational text anyways in history and in science and even in math and and art. They're reading that informational text, so um, getting them writing about it is uh, is so important. Well, why not? Like, I think that that just it opens it up to the perfect opportunity to write for that purpose if you're if you're already reading it like you said john and and you're diving into that text then why not give them the opportunity to learn to write as a mathematician or write as a historian or write as a scientist um, it just seems to fit so perfectly there right and, and as emily said too nobody likes to read terrible writing so if you're going to be reading their writing anyways you might as well help to make them good writers and make your job as a teacher more enjoyable because you're reading better writing absolutely and it, I, looking at it more from the elementary point of view which is the grade band that i come from my brain immediately goes to wow this is going to be a lot of work not only are we reading a lot of submitted work emily i can only imagine as a social studies teacher when you get your students writing how much reading you have to do to correct all of the assignments and provide feedback um, so how do we manage providing feedback to all of those students and how especially at the elementary level how do we get that writing in our hands being a cyber school they can't walk up to our desk and set it down in a nice little pile and then we have a pile of 35 writing samples that we can take home at night and read how do you recommend that teachers handle collecting and managing their time to provide feedback for the student writing yeah, so feedback is definitely something that I am not the best at <laughs> just because I do have that sheer number. Um, so what I have done myself is we do graded writing and then we do like informal, almost like in an elementary school where you would have a journal. Um, I made them a journal idea within our OMHS, which I know is different in elementary. So replication there might not be possible, um, but the graded work I was really good about putting feedback on because you know it's graded i have it open gonna give it a score and why did it not get a perfect score essentially um with the history journals i'm not so good at it um something i have been trying to do is essentially splitting my class list and kids will only get feedback like once every three weeks so if i split my list in thirds and then i have this group i'm giving feedback to this week Group two, I'm doing it next week. So then kind of spacing it out so it's not 90 times. But they're getting feedback once every three weeks from you. And if they're also getting feedback on their writing once every three weeks from their science teacher and also feedback on their writing once every three weeks from their math teacher and also getting feedback on their writing once a week from their ELA teacher, that's a lot of feedback that they will be getting on their writing. And I recently... Oh, Go ahead, Kelly. I was just going to add to what John was saying. It makes perfect sense to be giving a third of your class quality feedback. Right. Rather than yeah. trying to provide your entire class so-so feedback. So right. I love that idea. 
Absolutely. So just this week, like yesterday and today, <laughs> first time I'm trying it, um, I really dug into, I don't know if it's Newzella, Newzella, however one says to say it. Um, I've heard it both ways. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Sometimes I feel like I go back and forth. Um, Maybe I, I heard it both ways from you, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I assigned two different articles, one yesterday, one today. It was kind these past two days were kind of like a catch-all. We're finished our first three units. Let's make sure everybody's on the same page. And within there, they have a give feedback button. Uh, I just noticed it today because they're in there. They're working. I've not tried it yet. But that might be a better way. I mean, I have issues about do they actually read the feedback, right? If I'm going to spend all this time giving them feedback, how do I get them to look at it? So that might be a way, but I don't know because I just found it today. I have experience with that program. I can tell you that feedback button is a super easy button and they will get it. Um, you can also have, you know, have them comment back to you. I like that. And I've heard around with this more. <laughs> I, I've heard that students are more likely to read feedback if if you give the feedback before you give a grade. Um, that was going to be my suggestion, John. <laughs> <laughs> That's something that I used to do when I was, um, you know, way back in brick and mortar days and I had eighth graders and you would give the feedback and then they would be like, okay, I'm happy with that. I'm, I'm happy with a D and thank you for your feedback. <laughs> and um, so in order to, to get them to apply that, it was, well, I'm not grading this until you, show me that you've corrected your mistakes through the feedback that I've given. Um, and that that really did encourage a lot of students then. They wanted the grade, like they didn't want the zero. They were happy with the D, but they didn't want a zero. <laughs> so um, they were, they. it was a little easier to get them to apply that. I also, huge shout out to elementary. They, they have been using, um, in some grade levels, a program called Seesaw. Um, to get some submissions from their students. They're encouraging the students to actually handwrite um, or even present through a video, um, which can be uploaded through that Seesaw program. Um, so that I've seen some really great examples come through there. So that's, you know, another option for collecting the work samples from students or drop boxes or even discussion boards. Um, and keep in mind too that these I know that it, it's a lot, but they, you don't have to assign multi-paragraph essays every time we're getting them writing either. Um, so one, another way that you could handle giving that feedback is, you know, quick writes, doing something shorter, but then um, focusing what you're actually looking at in the assignment. Um, so maybe don't grade every aspect of writing, don't give feedback on every aspect of writing um, within one assignment, but maybe just focus on capitalization or punctuation or word choice um, in, in their writing. So that's another way to kind of uh, shorten up some of that feedback time if you're just looking for specific things. And um, shout out to my second favorite program in the world, Nearpod, I will have my kids write in there and then project somebody's. And what I love about when you project it is it doesn't say anybody's name. So I can project it and we can talk about, well, hey, look, this is a great answer. 
but they're missing capitalization, they're missing punctuation, or this, I don't want to use terrible, but like, let's fix this one and make it better. And unless a kid puts in the chat box, hey, that's mine, nobody knows who who it is that we're talking about. And I might have been known to log in as myself and write a really terrible one, and then we just fix mine. Um, I've That's happened before, too. You sneaky teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I knew Emily would sit, stick Nearpod. She'd sneak Nearpod into this conversation. By the way, Nearpod is not a paid sponsor of the Science <laughs> Podcast. I, I love that idea, though. Uh, speaking of something like you were just talking, Emily, it's a perfect um, springboard for my next question. Peer editing, looking at each other's writing. It's a huge part of student writing. Is this an option in cyber school and how else can we implement peer writing? So I just found out about a program, shout out to Heidi Lucier who told me about it, called Peer Grade. Um, I know it exists. <laughs> it's on my list to dig into. I just found out about it uh, actually over the weekend. So haven't really dug into it, but it from what we were looking at and she was telling me how much she's explored it, Basically, the kids write it in there or copy and paste it in there. And then the program will give your paper to, I think it's two other people. Again, no names. And then you can, you the students give their feedback, but then it goes through you. So you can then make sure everything's kosher before sending it back to the student. And then the student can evaluate the feedback. Like, I think this was great or this really was a terrible piece of advice. Um, and there's like a number scale and some multiple choice questions for them to help guide them through that process. So I'm definitely considering using it, but that's all I know right now, if anybody else knows anything. I don't know anything about that one, but again, that's something I do wanna dig into as well. It sounds really valuable um, for our students since they don't get to see each other face to face or can't sit side by side and and peer edit, edit each other's work. Um, one thought that I had as another way to implement this might be, I know in the middle school and high school with the platform that we use, you can, and Emily's talked, she's explained this to me, so um, you may want to correct me if I'm misspeaking. You can create groups in your courses um, and assign students to certain groups. So you could pair students up into those groups and assign them a discussion board where they would post their um, their rough drafts or whatever their writing piece is, and then they could give each other feedback through um, through the discussion board. Or you could open it up to the whole class and and make that as part of the um, the assignment in itself and part of the grade. Is you know, did you provide feedback to two other students, or did you provide feedback to your partner? Um, I know that sometimes we have that issue where student may not be fully engaged and and participating in the activity so if it's part of the grade you might elicit a little bit more of response I'm right. oh, sorry I was gonna add one more idea John I'm sorry to interrupt I know in elementary we have the opportunity for some teachers to co-teach and they will model what it means to give feedback because some of our youngest students don't even really understand what peer tutoring and providing each other feedback is so seeing teachers model and having maybe another adult come into the room with you and model it really seems to be helpful. 
I mean, my middle school teachers don't get that either. So middle school students, I mean. <laughs> so we have listeners who teach from kindergarten through 12th grade. Are some of these strategies more commonly seen at the high school, some of them at the at the kindergarten level, or are these types of strategies applicable to all students regardless of what their their skill level or their grade level are? Um, I'm, I'm going to say yes to all of it. <laughs> um, a little bit of, it's kind of a little bit of a yes to all. Um, I think that if we're looking more like in broad writing um, strategies in terms of that, like the whole, the writing process as a whole. I think that, yes, it can be implemented from K to 12. It's very flexible based on the level of the writer. Um, you know, if you have kindergartner who's drawing a picture and that is their writing piece and coming up to you and saying, you know, showing it to you and you can ask those questions of, you know, tell me about your, you know, tell me about your picture, tell me about your story and, you know, okay, how can you show me that um, through your drawing and then having the student go back and and fix things or change things all the way up to a senior who is maybe developing an essay for their you know college entrance um, or college admissions essays um, they may be a little bit more developed in the writing process so they may not need quite as much instruction but those skills transcend from k to 12. Um, however, then if you're if you're drilling it down a little bit more into the individual parts of the process, um, then I think that those strategies, those more specific strategies are maybe better implemented um, based on the skill level of the writer. So it would differentiate then across the board. I mean, over the summer, I watched my cousin's kids who, twins who are now in first grade and then their younger brother who's turning five next week um and they were not very happy with me because i made them write letters to uh their uncle who at the time lived in california um and we did a rough draft and then we looked at their spelling and i did the adult writing underneath it and then they rewrote it they didn't want to rewrite it <laughs> um so i mean it's a lot of what i do with my middle schoolers just on the younger level because we were working on sounding out words and they told me what their picture was and especially the one who's just turning five he was like I was like just draw a picture so we drew a picture and then I wrote under it and it was fine so totally flexible that's what I wanted and we learned a little bit more about Emily's babysitting strategy yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> You got to do your rough draft before you get to mail the letter. <laughs> Family's your babysitter. Those are the roles. <laughs> so any final words of wisdom or advice for our listeners? I know something that I have stressed to the people I have talked about, talked about this too, is that you don't have to grade everything. So it's like I'm having my kids write two, three, sometimes four days a week. I don't grade it all. I just grade one. Um, and then the others, I usually stick to more like opinion things. So when I think of it, I think of those things that you would normally have them like brainstorm on the board. I'll have them write first. And someone told me at a conference, think ink share. Um, so I really like that because so you think and then you write it down and then I'll either put it with a partner or we'll do it whole group. And then 
it's something that I normally would have still had in my lesson. I just shifted it to have them write first. Now, it does take a little bit more time in your lesson because it takes them longer to write like a sentence even than it does to write on the board. But uh, that stuff, I don't grade. It's just straight practice writing. I've also heard that called write, pair, share mm -hmm. instead of think, pair, share, write, pair, share. But yeah, that's absolutely a great strategy. I'll th I'll give my last my final words more of like in the broader curriculum sense. Um, I know that writing instruction it's very big. It's a big daunting task for teachers. Um, there's a lot of components to it. It can be very time consuming as we've spoke about. Um, I'm asking teachers to be brave and try it. Um, and also remember. Science and social studies, they also have their own writing standards for their content areas. Um, it just so happens that they sound identical to the ELA writing standards. wonder how that worked out. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, but just keep in mind, you know, like we all have the same goal in the end. Um, so work together as a team and, and make these students better writers. All right. Well, that is it for episode two of the Cyber PD podcast. On behalf of the entire Cyber PD podcast crew, I want to give a thanks to our guests, Emily Sadler and Amanda Harbaugh. I also want to thank you, our loyal listeners. We would love to hear from you. Leave your comments about this topic on the blog post for the episode. And if you're enjoying our content, be sure to rate us on your favorite podcatcher. That helps us to get our show out to other listeners. Join us for future episodes of the Cyber PD Podcast. We have some great shows lined up for you on topics like being an introvert in the cyber world, the benefits of meditation for teachers, knowing your emotional support population, and more. If you have suggestions for future episodes, leave them on the comment section. And once again, thanks for listening. And remember, keep learning. Thanks for listening to the Cyber PD Podcast. Tune in next time for more cyber pedagogy.